0: So good morning. Um, It's good to be here with you today. Uh, If you're online watching from home, it's great to be with you as well, wherever you are. I wonder, what lengths would you go to if you or your children or someone you love was diagnosed with an incurable condition? You might be one of those people who've had that experience. Even with all the advancements um, in modern medicine today, there's still a massive list of diseases and conditions for which there's no effective treatment or cure. And a lot of people spend hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars uh, to travel around the world seeking uh, the expertise of specialised doctors, undergoing painful surgeries that might not lead to any improvement, and trying an array of drugs that just might help, even if those drugs are still in experimental stage. And GoFundMe campaigns are set up to raise finances for this very purpose. And, you know, people's lives and the lives of whole families become consumed with the search and the hope of a cure. The desperation, the gut-wrenching longing for a miracle cure is the only thing that they can hold on to. Today, in these stories in Luke chapter 5, we meet some very desperate people. People who are living with conditions that are incurable and irreversible. A man with leprosy and a paralyzed man. Now, although leprosy or Hansen's disease, as it is called today, is now curable, it definitely wasn't at the time of the New Testament. So both these conditions had permanent ramifications. People with leprosy suffered from the gradual physical disfiguring and decay of their flesh. And they were often referred to as the walking dead. And their rotting smell, raspy voice and tattered clothing only reinforced that insult. Leprosy was a condition that was infectious, so they were forced to leave their homes, their loved ones, their families and live with other sufferers on the outskirts of towns. They lived every day with the absence of touch, and any form of intimacy was lost to them forever. And they were forced into poverty because they were forbidden from participating in society, and they were completely excluded from worship because they were considered unclean. Actually considered revolting, really. Their uncleanness was thought the result of their sin, their personal sin. Just as sin was considered ugly, loathsome, incurable, contaminating and causing separation between us and God, people with leprosy lived with the graphic and horrifying physical reality of this, with a skin of shame that could never be hidden or removed. Paralysed people too, as you can imagine, were also unable to really participate in society. They were at the mercy of family or others to be cared for and provided for if they were fortunate enough to have people in their lives who were willing and able to be able to do that. Paralysed people had no freedom, no independence, and lived with society's disdain and rejection and exclusion. With minimal personal capacity, they would probably feel... Incredibly worthless, which would be like an inner torment that would most likely cripple their soul. So these two men were like in a living hell, trapped in the irreversible and the daily reality of decay, degeneration and exclusion. But thankfully, Jesus came along. (laughs) They somehow had heard about this man called Jesus, who was healing people in their region. Word was getting around that amazing and miraculous things were happening because of this man. Now this was enough to spark their hope that maybe this man could cure them. And so in their desperation, they seek Jesus out. So let's pick it up in verse 12. And read together a man came along who was covered with leprosy when he saw Jesus he fell with his face to the ground and begged him Lord if you are willing you can make me clean with no personal dignity left this man throws himself to the ground in desperation before Jesus notice his statement acknowledges something insightful about who Jesus is to him Lord. The man with leprosy knows that Jesus is one with true authority. And in acknowledging Jesus' authority, this man knows that it simply comes down to Jesus' willingness. If you are willing, you can make me clean. It's not a request, it's a statement of belief. He sees that Jesus' power to heal to reverse the irreversible and to cure the incurable isn't a question of Jesus' ability, but his will. The word for willing, um, both here and in Jesus' answer, is the Greek word for wish or desire. So the leper was appealing to Jesus' deepest desire and, you know, with the most powerful expression of his heart. I love this. Jesus steps across the boundary of safe proximity and comes close and bends down low and reaches out his hand and touches him. I am willing. Be clean. Jesus doesn't just stand back at a safe distance and say the words which he could have done but he recognises the necessity and power of touch for this man. This is a touch of acceptance and compassion, a touch that tells this man that Jesus sees and knows and is intimately connected to his deepest inner needs and a touch through which Jesus reveals his deepest desire to heal him and cleanse him inside and out. Through this healing, the man is completely restored in every way. His health, his dignity, his humanity, his relationships, his place in society, and perhaps centrally, he is restored to worship as Jesus instructs him to go straight to the priest and offer sacrifices as a testimony of his healing. So this man was made whole. Jesus has shown his willingness, his heart's desire to reverse the irreversible, to touch the untouchable, and to cleanse even the most repulsive. When this man's desperate faith and Jesus' deepest desire met, a miracle happened. Let's just go deeper into this story for a moment and put ourselves in the place of the man with leprosy. Maybe we don't have an incurable physical condition. Maybe we do. But we all have diseases of the soul. I'm going to use a few quotes um, from this wonderful book, which you might have seen. Um, It's called Gentle and Lowly, written by uh, a man called Dane Ortland. Um, And he's a senior pastor of Naperville Presbyterian Church in Naperville, Illinois, in the States. Um, And he writes, Sin eviscerates our souls of the beauty and dignity and worship for which they were made. You see, sin is like a sin festering inside us, rotting away at our love, our vitality, our peace, our hope, our capacity for grace and our potential for fruitfulness maybe you feel there's resentment and bitterness eating away within you or envy that diminishes the abundant gifts that god has already given you or maybe it's greed that infects your capacity for contentment or lust that distorts your ability to see true inner beauty the disease of inner hidden sin that quietly rots us out on the inside So I want to ask you this morning, what is eating away at your soul? What's eating away at your character and your God-given identity? Let me tell you, whatever it is, you can fall on your face before Jesus today and know that he is willing to cleanse you. You know, uh, often we live with a subconscious assumption that Jesus' mercy and kindness and goodness towards us is reluctant or hesitant or unwilling. That Jesus is like stingy towards us, as if saving his goodness for other people who might be really special. Or we think that we've got to get our act together before we're worthy enough to come, worthy enough for him. To touch us or cleanse us or heal us, when actually the absolute opposite is true. So, Dane Orland also writes he says, He is not cautious in his tenderness toward you. He multiplies mercies matched to your every need, and there is nothing that he would rather do. Your very need is what he's drawn to and where he wants to pour his deepest love into. He goes on to say, the mercy of God, or put another way, the willing desire of God to meet your needs, reaches down and rinses clean, not only obvious bad people, but fraudulently good people, both of whom equally stand in need of resurrection. That God is rich in mercy means the things that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love To surge forward all the more. When I was sitting with this insight recently about God's willing mercy towards me, it was actually such a fresh revelation for me. And the Holy Spirit stirred me with renewed faith to begin praying and asking God for the things that I really needed. At the time, I had a twinge in my back, and so I prayed for healing with this truth of God's willingness to multiply his mercies towards me. And the next day, over that day, my back was made right, and I haven't had a twinge in my back or a back problem since. Uh, Another time... um, on you know one of those hot summer nights um, this summer, I'd gone to bed really late. I think it was like after midnight because I think we'd been out at a family function, and being after a hot day, you know, you have all the windows and doors open to let the house cool down. Uh, And so we live in Cockatoo and if you live close to the main part of town, um, on either side of the hill of the valley, you'll probably know that sounds just kind of boom across that valley from one side of the hill to the other. Um, And so when I went to bed exhausted and desperate for some sleep, um, there was a dog barking incessantly across the other side of the hill and it was really loud too. Um, and it was just you know making it really hard to get to sleep and I thought you know what God wants to meet my need for rest right now so I'm going to pray for that dog (laughs) and so I prayed for that dog that the Holy Spirit would bring a sense of calm and peace to that dog so that it would settle and feel safe and stop barking within about 10 seconds it did it stopped barking And I went to sleep with an overwhelming sense of God's absolute willingness to work for my good, to multiply his mercies towards my every need. If God cares enough about my rest to answer that prayer for that dog to be quieted, God for sure cares enough about the needs of your heart and soul to answer your prayers for healing and wholeness. God is over the moon willing. People love to use that phrase, over the moon. God is over the moon willing. He's abounding in willing desire towards us. Friends, believe it. Lean into it. Going back to our text, um, we then come to see some desperate friends of a paralyzed man who have heard that Jesus is in town. Without hesitation and again, fueled by the possibility of a miraculous cure for their friend, they gather up this man on his mat and take him to Jesus so that we are told they could lay him before Jesus. So let's read verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. I love how their desperation is unperturbed by the crowds that block their access to Jesus. They don't give up with seeming hindrances, but find another way to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't really know what they had to do to the roof to get their friend through, but what's important is that they did it. Uh, They didn't care if the roof had to be damaged, and they didn't care if they were interrupting Jesus with what was going on. They just wanted to get their friend to Jesus. This was their friend's only hope. This was his one and only chance to be cured. And so we read in verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. There's two things that are surprising here. One is that the demonstration of the friend's desperate faith Was enough to stir Jesus to mercy and compassion. No verbal request or plea was needed. Their desperate efforts were seen and felt by Jesus. And secondly, Jesus goes right to the heart of what this man really needed the merciful acceptance and forgiveness of God, the healing of his deepest paralysis of heart and soul caused by sin. Jesus saw this man's inner healing as more important and more central to his life than his physical healing. And not only that, but what Luke confronts his readers with is the question that we glean from the Pharisees' reaction. Who is this man? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then we read in verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Both are seemingly impossible, aren't they? But actually healing the incurable condition of sinful humanity was only something that God could do. And before we can think about it too much, Jesus goes on, but I want you to know, next slide, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Jesus left everyone there in no doubt that he has the very authority of God to forgive and to heal. And Jesus was not only willing, but absolutely able to make this man whole, inwardly and outwardly. I want us to think about some points of application for us here. Firstly, Let me ask you, is there anything that is paralyzing you or crippling your soul? Maybe the anxiety that holds you back from living anywhere near to your full potential. Maybe the depression that makes you just want to hide away and give up any seed of hope. And maybe it's the exhaustion that keeps you entrapped and barely coping with your day-to-day responsibilities, but that you know is paralyzing your spiritual life, compromising your relationships and crippling your dreams. Or maybe it's a constant sense of worthlessness and inner insecurity, the constant voice in our heads that says, I'm not good enough, and that holds us back from ever daring to soar or reach new heights so we settle for our comfort zones and fail to let God use us in the things that we might come to realize that he's actually gifted us for and called us to so we just remain there stuck in some in between space even if we know that there's something more that God has for us friends God is willing and able to free you from whatever is crippling you he is the one with the authority to set the pres- prisoners and the oppressed free, as we read back in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And, you know, just as the paralyzed man had to begin using his muscles to get up and move, so, you know, you'll need to begin exercising some spiritual muscle to begin walking in your healing. And now I recognize also that there's a tension that comes up when God doesn't heal. Even if we've prayed our hearts out with all the desperate faith that we have. And we think of passages like 2 Corinthians 12, where the Apostle Paul pleads three times with the Lord to remove the thorn in his flesh, but God didn't. And instead, God tells Paul that his weakness is a means for his grace to be at work. So we have to acknowledge that healing may not always be God's will for us in this present life, but we know that it is his will and desire, and promise for us overall, whether it's in this life or the one to come, that we will be made whole. So yes, there is a lot of theology that we need to consider, but today I just feel that it's important that we just sit with what God is saying to us through Luke today. To let Jesus speak that authority over us today, as he spoke over those suffering men, I have the authority to free you. I am willing and able. Let him speak that empowerment over you today to get up, to leave that familiar mat of unworthiness or shame or exhaustion or anxiety or insecurity or whatever it is. He is willing. He is able. Are you willing to hear that? And receive that now maybe you actually identify more with what's going on for the friends maybe you are interceding and praying for someone in your life to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus be encouraged today keep doing all that you can keep trying don't let blockages discourage you even if it feels that they're cut off from Jesus Keep seeking ways to bring your friends to Jesus. You know, will we be these sorts of disciples with the desperate faith that we, um, you know, use and we believe on behalf of others? These fishes of people, as we heard last week, who persevere in faith to see our loved ones meet Jesus. And I'm not talking about being pushy or bossy, manipulative or insensitive towards others, but being people who inspire hope to help our loved ones be willing to be carried to Jesus. I know I'm running out of time, but I want to share one more thing this morning. As I sat with this passage over the last couple of weeks, I was led to think also more broadly about Jesus' willing authority in the bigger picture of our world and what's going on in our world today, in Ukraine, Afghanistan, other troubled places. As well as what's happening here in Australia with the devastating floods, and you might have heard about the severe bleaching of our beautiful Great Barrier Reef because of climate change. I know our hearts are reeling over these sadnesses. These problems in the world that seem incurable. This world that seems stuck in this never-ending pattern of destruction and we wonder who's going to stand up and change all this mess and when we think of someone being able to change something for the better either they want change but they don't have the authority or they have the authority but they don't have any desire it's very rare to find someone who has both and if we really think about it we might come to see that Jesus, only Jesus, is this person, someone who is ultimately both willing and able. So what if we enlarged our picture of those desperate yet faithful friends of the paralysed man to our understanding of our role in interceding for the world? What if God is calling us to be people who believe and trust in the deepest desire of Jesus to make everything right in this world and who believe and trust in his authority to do so? What sort of faith do we have to see Jesus intervene with his authority to put things right and to pour out his justice in this world? To believe that Jesus is willing to not only stop but also reverse the decay and destruction and degeneration in our world? Does our faith lead us in desperation to fall on our faces before God with the needs of the world? Is it a desperate yet sure faith that leads us to pray, believing for his righteousness and justice to flow such that wars will cease? that holds to a certainty that he is deeply willing and that he is powerfully able. Be encouraged today. Jesus can cure the incurable, reverse the irreversible and transform what seems impossible, both in our lives, in the lives of our friends and in this world. This is what he came to do. Let's be people who learn to lean in to his willing authority.